HCC Connect is an initiative of Core to Ed. This podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Bayer. The views in this podcast are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts, academic institution, or the rest of the HCC Connect group. For expert disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the Core to Ed website. Welcome to the first HCC Connect podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today, we do have the privilege to be joined by Dr. Supin Cho, medical oncologist at Curie Oncology and National Cancer Center in Singapore. Welcome, Dr. Cho. Hi, everyone. In this episode, we are going to get insights from Dr. Cho on the key abstracts released at ASCODE 2021 and at WCGIC 2021 in hepatocellular carcinoma. So Dr. Cho, first of all, from your point of view, what were the key topics covered during these two virtual congresses this year on HCC? This year, unfortunately, there's nothing that exciting. However, um, there were some updates in the systemic therapies in the first line setting for advanced HCC. And there was quite a few posters looking at predictive and prognostic biomarkers in HCC as well. So at um, ESCO, there were two oral presentations. The first was the FOHAIC1 study, which was a study done in China. Uh, this looked at hepatic arterial um, infusional chemotherapy using the 4-FOX regimen in advanced HCC. And this was compared to serafinib in the phase 3 trial. This study showed that uh, the HAIC with 4-FOX had superior efficacy and survival outcome compared to serafinib. And this were in patients who had tumors that were very large, mostly had tumors that were more than 11 centimeters in diameter. Uh, more than 80% of this population had a macrovascular invasion. And about 40% of patients had tumors that involved more than 50% of the liver. So indicating that patients with heavy intrahepatic tumor burden, fall fox uh, through hepatic arterial infusion might be a better strategy than serafinib. Um, and thus at least about 12% of these patients in the experimental arm were downstage to curative treatment as well. The other uh, oral presentation at um, ESCO was another phase three study looking at uh, infusional arterial chemotherapy, also with Folfox, but this time in the neoadjuvant setting before hepatectomy. Um, and the two groups, neoadjuvant infusional chemo with Folfox before hepatectomy compared to hepatectomy alone. And the, the addition of the neoadjuvant um, infusional chemo uh, was uh, associated with increased progression-free survival and overall survival. However, how do we apply this into our clinical setting? Um, I think for most of us, including myself, we do not do uh, hepatic arterial infusional chemotherapy. So the application of this, um, though promising, probably may, may be restricted to countries like China, Taiwan and Japan and centers that do HAIC. What were for you the most interesting data in the systemic therapy in advanced HCC in the first-line setting? Well, as you know, atezolizumab and bevazumab are now the standard of care in the first-line setting for HCC based on the Embrave 150 uh, trial data. 
Um, there were a couple of updates from that trial. There was an abstract that looked at patients within the trial who had VP4 disease. As a reminder, these are patients with main portal vein or, or branch, um, sigmoid branch portal vein tumor thrombosis. Um, and these patients who usually have a bad prognosis uh, still benefit from atezolizumab and bevacizumab in this um, extended analysis. Another uh, abstract that was of interest is the one that looked at responses in relation to overall survival. And in the Imbrave 150 study, um, patients who had a confirmed response by rhesus as well as stable disease had improved clinical outcomes. So there's a positive correlation. Great. Thank you. So we've now several approved uh, treatment options in first-line setting. We know that certain HCC patient population might not be suitable for the immunotherapy combination with atezolizumab and bevacizumab. How would you select among those treatments, uh, Dr. Chu? So we have a Bev, then we still have our lenvatinib and surafenib in the first-line setting in advanced HCC. Um, not everybody should be given a Bev upfront. Um, very clearly, patients who have had previous organ transplant, uh, patients who have uncontrolled autoimmune diseases, basically anyone who has any contraindication to an immune checkpoint blocker should not be given a Bev. And with bevacizumab, there's a concern about bleeding and anyone for whatever reason who has a high risk of bleeding or throm thromboembolic disease, probably uh, we would be a bit hesitant in using um, a tizobev upfront. So these patients, we would probably uh, be more comfortable uh, giving them a TKI like surafenib or um, lenvatinib. So another group that's of concern um, would be the patients who have decompensated liver function. So the, especially the patients who are Charles Pugh B. We now have real-world data from Optimus and Gideon. Um, and this data was presented at WGIC recently. Uh, that looked at more than 3,000 patients um, who had received sorafenib in the, in the real world. And it further confirmed the survival benefit as well as the safety of serafinib in the Charles Pugh B HCC patients. Uh, so this confirms the benefit of serafinib and serafinib does still have a role um, to play, especially in this patient population. You said that biomarkers are desperately needed. Uh, can you please share with us some promising investigations that were presented uh, in that field in these two virtual congresses? Okay, there are quite a few studies um, that look at biomarkers. You all know that biomarkers are really important in helping us to determine who should receive what in um, HCC. So there was a, stu a study looking um, at T-cell receptor pharmacodynamics. Um, this was looking at the study that involved tremolumab and devulumab in varying doses in advanced HCC. And this study observed that the T-dose-dependent um, increase in T-cell clonal expansion trended with improved response rates and longer overall survival. And this benefit was greatest in patients who received tremolumab at 300 uh, milligrams and with devulumab. And now this dose of T300 plus Devilmap is the dose that is being used in the phase 3 Himmler trial for which we are awaiting the results. So this was kind of interesting. 
Whether we can apply this into clinical practice and whether this can be validated across bigger populations remains to be seen. Another abstract that was rather interesting, again, regarding immune checkpoint blockade was treatment-related adverse events being a prognostic biomarker for um, response to, to treatment with an immune checkpoint blockade. And they found that uh, when you had a grade 2 or higher treatment-related AE from immune checkpoint blockade, this predicted improved overall survival and progression-free survival as well as responses. This data is very similar to my, my center's own data as well. Another study that was presented at WGCIC um, was looking at the prognostic nutritional index, um, which takes into account albumin and the peripheral lymphocyte counts. Very simple stuff that we can do in clinic. And basically, they calculated what they call the prognostic nutritional index and based on these two parameters. And this was able to predict survival in patients with advanced HCC treated with regorifenib. So this PNI, as they call it, correlated with OS as well as PFS and may potentially be useful um, in helping us uh, predict treatment with regorifenib in the clinic. So, Dr. Cho, thanks a lot for all these insights. Is there anything else you would like to share with us? Any other abstracts or data that could potentially have an impact on clinical practice in HCC? Yes, there was actually a phase three trial that was conducted in Japan. Um, it was, I think, more almost 50 institutions in Japan. This was a trial that looked at HCC patients with small uh, tumors. Um, the largest HCC diameter had been three centimeters or less, or patient had to have three or less HCC nodules to be considered eligible for this study. And um, they basically uh, randomized patients to either surgery or uh, radiofrequency ablation. So this study showed that there was no overall survival uh, difference between the group that received surgery versus the group that had radiofrequency ablation. This study provides support for radiofrequency ablation as an option apart from surgery for patients with small HCC. Dr. Cho, thanks for all this insight. So what is the impact of all the data we discussed on clinical practice? Is there anything we need to change when treating patients with HCC? So atezolizumab and bevacizumab are still the standard of care in the first-line setting, but serafinib and levonib have still a very important place in the first-line treatment um, as the alternative options. Uh, we, are, we have to figure out uh, which patients would benefit from which treatment and how do we stratify our patients. Um, biomarkers are definitely something we have to keep working on to figure out who should receive what um, so that we are not exposing patients to unnecessary, potentially toxic and expensive uh, therapies versus something that would um, be more likely to work. As you know, there are many combination trials that um, will be reported in time. Um, and this would mean more treatment options for patients. And this would just complicate the treatment algorithm further. Um, what is key to all of us is trying to figure out um, how we best sequence the many treatment options in the second line, third line, and beyond. What is good for patients is that now we have many treatment options for them as long as we are able to maintain their liver function. 
I wanted to thank uh, Dr. Supin Cho for joining us today for her valuable inputs, and we appreciate your listening. Thank you very much. This HCC Connect podcast was brought to you by Core to Ed Independent Medical Education. Please visit coretoed.com for more information.